What's up, everybody? Welcome to TNT Sports Talk. Today is Tuesday, July 9th. As always, we're presented by D's Home Cuts, and I am your host, Travis Karczewski. Just me today for the full show. Uh, Truman again has to work, so it's just going to be me today, but we had a fantastic weekend. It's been a crazy weekend in sports, followed by pretty much the entire world was watching Kawhi Leonard's free agency last week, and we finally have an answer. And it was a bit of a shocking answer, and it came at the strangest time. We also had the Home Run Derby last night, which was an all-time classic Home Run Derby, in my opinion. Got a little bit of football talk today, and can't forget about the United States dominating again in another sport. The U.S. soccer, women's soccer team won a huge game on Sunday. So we're going to get into all of that and more on this episode of TNT Sports Talk. Let's dive right into it, guys, because like I said, we have a ton of stuff to talk about today. First things first, United States women's team won their championship matchup game on Sunday versus the Netherlands 2-0. It was clear the Netherlands were no match for the United States women's team. This has easily been... One of the funnest experiences of my life watching soccer. I usually am not somebody who watches much soccer. I, you know, growing up, I was one of these kids who, you know, made fun of soccer all the time because I just, you know, it was one of those sports that I just couldn't get into. And to be honest, I still am not fully into it. You know, I don't really watch a ton of soccer outside of the World Cup, but this was a great experience for me. And I think this is something that is going to build, you know, the buzz around soccer in America a little bit. Because when a team is good, you know, everybody wants to watch and it just makes you know, a little bit more buzz going around America, and this was just a great experience, and the United States women's team just straight up dominated every single second of the World Cup. I think there was a point where they weren't down, I think the whole tournament, they weren't down at all. I think they were the closest it ever was was the Thailand game, and they, we ended up winning that 13-1. to So, congrats to the United States women's team. Again, I'd love to spend more time on this, but I'm just not educated enough on soccer to give a whole spiel about it but congrats to them it's a very fun team to watch um and i think this is just like i said it's going to grow the buzz around soccer in america a little bit more and maybe you know seeing the women's team dominate like this maybe the men's team is going to pick it up a little bit um because right now it's a lot more fun to watch the united states women's team than the men's team and i think that's great not only for you know growing soccer in America, but it's great for everything else. So I think it's going to be a good uh, thing for us. And also it's fun seeing the United States just kick everybody's butts on every single second, and especially on a worldwide stage like that. Where the men's team lacks, like I said, the men's team just completely brings down uh, the, the world's view on the United States in terms of soccer. The women's team picks it right back up, and that's what we need um, right now. So the men, they got to pick it up a little bit if they want to be, you know, as loved as this United States women's team. So they got to pick it up. But let's move on now to some basketball here. We had a straight up bombshell drop on Saturday morning, Friday. That, that weird in between. I guess it was like 2 a.m. on Saturday, but I mean that's Friday night to me. But anyways, Kawhi Leonard. We have an information about where he is going. He is going to sign a four-year, $142 million deal with the Los Angeles Clippers, which was a complete shock to everybody, and that completely makes the Clippers a championship contender. But then you threw another bomb into the NBA world with Paul George going to the Clippers as well for a trade. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but Paul George is now a Clipper. Lou Williams is still there. Patrick Beverly, Montrezl Harold, and Kawhi Leonard easily makes the Clippers one of, if not the best, defensive teams in the league. I mean, you got Kawhi and Paul George, who are both uh, Defensive Player of the Year candidates. We've seen what Patrick Beverly can do, and then Montrezl Harold is one of those guys who I would not want to fight at all in the NBA. There's a couple people in the NBA who, like I said, most sports figures don't intimidate me that much. There's a few. And I would say Montrezl Harold is right on that list. The man is just so intense and so good. Um, so now, and then you throw Lou Williams into that off the bench, and you have some scoring. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can also score. This is going to be a very, very, very good team. Gets a little awkward with Paul George because I think Paul George used to date Doc Rivers' daughter, uh, Callie Rivers, I believe her name is. 
And rumors are that they broke up because Paul George cheated on her. But Doc Rivers is just a veteran head coach, and I'm sure that's not going to get him down a little bit. Just a little awkward, something you might want to watch a little bit, just to keep in your mind. Then you go to the other side of this trade, the Los Angeles Lakers. They were banking heavily on Kawhi Leonard going there. And we're going to talk about what they did after Kawhi Leonard uh, signed. You know, They did a good job of using their cap space and filling up their roster with some solid role players. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this team plays out. I mean, we already saw yesterday they're talking about starting LeBron at point guard um, and then moving from there, which is interesting because LeBron's never started at point guard in his career. But, I mean, obviously he can do it because he's LeBron. But again, we'll go back to the Clippers. The Clippers are easy, like I said, a championship contender now. You know, the Lakers thought by signing, getting Anthony Davis, signing LeBron, that they'd still hold the title of best team in Los Angeles. But I think the Clippers give them a run for their money right now. Where I think Anthony Davis and LeBron is the better duo than Kawhi and Paul George, I think the Clippers are a little bit more... Um, they have a little bit more depth to combat the Lakers. So I think I think they play on Christmas and they play a couple more times. So those are going to be classic games. And it's going to make me want to stay up for those because, like I said, it's on the West Coast. So it's going to be very, very late. But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So we're going to keep watching on that. And that's going to be a classic matchup. Now you go to the other team involved in this deal, the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it becomes clear now that they are just going to break it down. Sam Presti is starting to trade away his assets and just break it down and try to get some draft picks. You say what you want about Sam Presti. He did draft Kevin Durant. He drafted Serge Ibaka. Drafted James Harden. Drafted um, uh, Russell Westbrook. Sorry about that. Uh, he got Victor Oladipo in there. He got... You know, a ton of players to come, Paul George, all this stuff. He's a solid drafter. He's swung and missed a lot the last couple of years, but he's still, now that he can just focus on building a team, I think he's great at building rosters. And, you know, now with Paul George being traded, there's rumors that they really want to trade uh, Russell Westbrook, and I think that makes sense because where the Thunder messed up, in my opinion, not only did they screw up by trading away and getting rid of Kevin Durant and not winning a championship with a core of Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and you know prime Serge Ibaka, who was a force, that was a very, very good Thunder's team. And, I mean, you look at that core, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden, that would easily, right now, today's NBA, be the best triple threat in the entire league and maybe even in league history if they were to stay together but they didn't and i think sam presti screwed up with that and you know when you go when you start to screw up you know you want to build your team around somebody and they thought they could build it around russell westbrook which has shown that you just can't build a team around russell westbrook and they tried to combat that by bringing in paul george and it didn't work out and I think the Thunder, it's going to hurt the next couple of years. It's going to be a pretty rough team to watch. But I think in the long run, getting rid of Russell Westbrook and trading him, which they're talking about doing, and Russell Westbrook's open to it, getting rid of him, shipping him to Miami or some other team, you know, or the Rockets are interested or whatever, getting rid of him, I think in the long run, is going to help this franchise. I think he's came in here and he's done a lot of damage. And he's made, you know, he sold a lot of tickets, sold a lot of merchandise, made the Thunder fun to watch. But at the end of the day, he's not somebody you can build your team around. And I think it's time to get rid of him and start building through the draft in other ways. And that's what Sam Presley's doing. So they traded Paul George for five first round picks from the Clippers. Now, the only thing that's a little bit awkward about that is all five first-round picks are after 2022. So he's clearly banking on the future. I'm not sure what he's doing right now, maybe to develop some of these younger players. I mean, they have some solid younger pieces. You know, I like Terrence Ferguson a lot. They have some solid young pieces. Um, but also, you know, they trade away Jermani Grant the other day to the uh, Nuggets for a 2020 first-round pick. So they are f clearly banking on the draft and they're going to try to build through the draft which most teams try to do and you know the draft can only get you so far though i mean it's very difficult very hard to find a superstar franchise changing player in the draft nowadays and i think it's going to make a lot of sense for them to sort of build through the draft for the next couple of years and then you know what most teams do sign a superstar and try to get through there but 
it's going to be interesting. The Thunder is, you know, they've been pretty successful their entire time in Oklahoma City. I mean, they came in with, like I said, Kevin Durant, James Harden, um, and Russell Westbrook. And they've been successful their entire run in Oklahoma City. They've made the playoffs multiple times. They've always had superstar players. But if they do trade Russell Westbrook, which I fully expect that to happen before the season starts, this team is going to be pretty barren of of superstar franchise ticket selling type of players and we're going to see you know how committed these Oklahoma City basketball fans are when they have you know some pretty unknown players starting in meaningful games for them and you know missing the playoffs you know getting the lottery pick this is going to really determine how good of fans Oklahoma City is um, and then also you got to go the awkward uh, July 7th, which was Paul George Day in Oklahoma City. He was traded on the 6th. Uh, so that was also awkward with that. So they got to get rid of that. But it's a good idea overall. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's What most change is in life is it's, it's painful to change. But at the end of the day, you're going to come out better. And I think getting rid of Russell Westbrook is going to be the best thing for them. I don't think they'll ever win without... With Russell Westbrook, he's just a hard player to win with, especially if you're building your team around him and he thinks it's like his franchise. So at the end of the day, getting rid of Russell Westbrook is the best move. Breaking it down and just starting from scratch, getting draft picks, getting capital is a good idea. Now, I don't really understand why you went with all the picks after 2022, um, but maybe you could just get more capital that way. But we're going to see what happens with the Thunder over the next couple of seasons. And we're going to see what happens to the Thunder fans uh, during that. Because, like I said, it's going to be a very long, hard road for rebuilding, especially when you know your team, its entire existence, the Oklahoma City Thunder's entire existence has been winning and star-caliber players who are fun to watch. And now that they don't have that anymore, once they trade Russ, we're going to see how committed Oklahoma City fans are to that team. So watch that. It's going to be interesting. Another thing that's going to be interesting is watching these NBA reporters who pretty much guaranteed Kawhi to the Lakers. There were a ton of them. Chris Broussard is the first one. Chris Broussard is a veteran NBA reporter who pretty much guaranteed Kawhi to the Lakers. And every single day, every single tweet that he tweeted, it was just hold on, he's going to the Lakers, he's just taking this meeting to be nice, he's going to the Lakers, that's all I'm hearing, Lakers, 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 and not even mentioning the Clippers, and banking on Chris, when Chris Broussard puts his whole career on that, you know, he's a veteran, he's a veteran NBA reporter, so people still trust him, I don't think this is completely going to destroy him, but then you got that little college kid, Ari Abraham, Abrams, or whatever, he was somebody who was trying to get his name out there, he was trying to start his career as a Woj, trying to be the next Woj, um, who actually, Woj handled this perfectly. I mean, Woj didn't tweet any rumors or anything about that. He broke the news, though, on Saturday morning at like 3 a.m., which I'm not sure why he was up or tweeting about it, but, you know, hey, that's the name of the game. But Woj just stayed quiet. He wasn't like Ari Abrams or Chris Broussard, who were just trying to sort of keep up on it. And it's going to be you know, where does this Ari dude go from here? I mean, you bank your whole career on Kawhi to the Lakers and then you swing and miss like that. You know, you better not, like Tate Martell says, better not swing and miss twice. Uh, and he's been pretty silent on Twitter the last couple of days. This hurts for him. Uh, he was, like I said, he was trying to be, he's trying to be the next Woj, this kid from USC, uh, Ari Abrams. I mean, he had, I think his Twitter header is something like this, like a 16 year old can beat out Woj or some article thing but he deleted a lot of his tweets he came out saying that it was just a complete shock nobody was reporting anything about it um but he took his licking and i think he's gonna learn from this and hopefully you know he'll come back from this but it's pretty tough when you bank your whole career on you know Kawhi going to the lakers and he doesn't speaking of the lakers though after losing Kawhi, they still had a ton of cap space they still had a roster that they needed to fill desperately i mean their roster before they went in this little spending spree, they had about four players under contract. But they filled it up. And once Kawhi left, they went out and they signed Danny Green to a two-year, $30 million deal. Uh, he's going to start at shooting guard. It's just That's surprising because I think everybody was sort of expecting Danny Green to go where Kawhi went. 
But maybe, you know, in that whole process of, you know, wooing Kawhi, you know, you're also wooing Danny Green. And maybe Danny Green saw the Clippers as not a great option for him. I mean, they do have Lou Williams. They do have some other players. And maybe he decided that the Lakers would be the best option. So this is the first time in a while Danny Green's not going to be playing with Kawhi. Uh, So that's going to be a little bit of a difference for him. But again, they are still living in the same city and playing in the same stadium. Then yesterday they went out and they signed Avery Bradley to a two-year, $9.7 million deal. Uh, Avery Bradley, ever since he left the Celtics, has been sort of irrelevant. I mean, he's a great defender still, but his scoring has went down. I mean, he was with the Pistons for a little bit, then he went to Memphis. Uh, So maybe they're trying to recapture the magic there. He's still a solid solid, uh, defensive player, so that's a good signing. They signed Cadavis Cable. Caldwell Pope to a two-year, $16 million deal. Again, a nice, solid player. JaVel McGee, they signed him two years, 8.2. They signed Quinn Cook, two years, $6 million, Who, I mean, Quinn Cook had a pretty decent finals. And, you know, now he's going to be a solid backup point guard to LeBron, which is crazy. Then they signed DeMarcus Cousins, who, in all reports that I heard, uh, Marcus Cousins had no offers on the table. Nobody wanted to sign somebody who was possibly past his prime since the Achilles injury and is basically just a big headache. But they did sign him. They took a flyer on him one year, $2.3 million. Um, and he's obviously, I think, going to be the starting center now with Javel being the backup. And then they re-signed Rondo to two-year veteran minimum deal. So like I said, they're just signing players who are reliable over their careers role players off the bench starting i mean demarcus cousins when healthy is amazing and you know you pair demarcus cousins back up with anthony davis they're really good friends um you know maybe anthony davis and lebron could get something out of demarcus cousins that you know the warriors couldn't so we'll see where he goes from here his nba career i mean they got a couple shooters now with danny green um i guess Quinn Cook's a decent shooter. Avery Bradley's a great defender. Davis Caldwell Pope's pretty solid. So they did fill up their roster pretty nicely. I mean, they filled it up the best they can. You know, now that free agency's sort of dying down. Uh, so the Lakers, I mean, they fill up their roster nicely and they were able to spend their cap space. But now with free agency, you know, the bulk of it pretty much over. I mean, there's still a couple nice role players still out there. Maybe we'll go through that on um Thursday show give you a little bit of an update of who's still out there, um, but right now since Kawhi went to the lake to the Clippers, the league is balanced. I mean, I think this is the first time in a while we don't have a top heavy league or a Western Conference heavy league. You go through. I'm about to go through some of these duos in the NBA here, and you can just see how the league is sort of balanced out and we're going to have a lot of teams that could contend for a championship i mean you got obviously lead in the pack anthony davis and lebron gonna be a lot of fun then you got Kawhi and paul george and then you know next year you're gonna have katie and Kyrie. then you have steph and d'angelo russell this year and then you have steph and Kyrie, obviously not Kyrie, clay thompson you still have harden and chris paul joel Embiid and ben simmons Giannis and chris middleton damian lillard and cj mccollum Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, Jokic and Murray at Denver, and then you still have Kristaps and Luka Doncic, which I think people are completely forgetting about Kristaps Porzingis. He is going to be healthy this year, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch still. He's still Kristaps Porzingis. You can't forget that. And so, I mean, overall, you could still go. I mean, there's a ton of them. You could go team to team. This league is no longer... You know, oh, it's just going to be the Warriors and the Cavs. You know, it's just going to be the Warriors and, you know, whatever coming out of the East. This team, every team now has, or most teams have two superstars or superstar caliber players who could be a superstar. And the NBA is going to be a lot of fun this year. I mean, first, most of all, you're going to have Kawhi and Paul George going against Anthony Davis and LeBron for the title of, you know, Los Angeles. And, that's going to be fun in itself. And then you got, you know, uh, Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell going back-to-back like that. And eventually, D'Angelo Russell is going to be traded. And wherever he goes, that team's going to get a lot better. And, you know, Chris Chris Paul and James Harden, you know, they were thought of as the second-best team, second best team in the West. And I don't believe that anymore. I think, you know, the Denver Nuggets are right up there still. I mean... This team, and then you got the Celtics, who I think the Celtics got better losing Kyrie Irving and getting Kemba. Kemba is going to be a fantastic player for them, and I think he's way better in that system than Kyrie Irving. 
And then Giannis, the MVP, still doing his thing. They're going to run it back with them. Joel Embiid still there with Ben Simmons. And then you have Kristaps still coming up. And then Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who they had a great playoff run last year. And then they added Hassan Whiteside, who has shown flashes of being a superstar caliber player. The NBA is going to be so much fun this year, guys. And I just can't under can't drive that point home more that the league is now balanced. And I think this free agency period was chaotic, but we come out of it perfect. And it's going to be so much fun to watch these teams. And then I didn't even mention the Pelicans. I mean, the Pelicans have a great young team, you know, with Zion, Drew Holiday, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, all of these players, Josh Hart. And then, you know, Jackson Hayes from, I believe, Texas. They picked him up later in the draft. He's been balling in Summer League. So there's so many things that I just cannot wait to watch this year. It's going to be so much fun. And I think the NBA easily got better over this free agency period. And Kawhi going to the Clippers was one of the best things for the NBA. Yeah, it sucks for Toronto fans. I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit. They lost, you know, probably their championship hopes. Their team is a little bit depleted now. But they still have Siakam, who's turning into a great young player. And then Kyle Lowry, you know, can he step up a little bit? But at the end of the day, they did still win their championship. You know, flags fly forever. It's going to be a lot of fun for them to, you know, raise the banner, get their rings and all that. So Toronto fans... Yeah, this sucks losing Kawhi, but you kind of knew what you were getting. Signing Kawhi back to Toronto was sort of a pipe dream, and you kind of knew what you were getting when you signed him, when you traded for him. You knew you were getting a rental. So it sucks, but you just got you just got to take your licking and realize you're still the champions. Um, so that's it for NBA free agency. Let's talk a little bit about some numbers in the NBA. Uh, Mike Conley, Memphis is going to retire Mike Conley's number 11. Uh, he spent 12 years as a Grizzly before he got traded to the Jazz this season. Mike Conley, I think he's the first player from Ohio State to have his number retired. 12 seasons with the Grizzlies and was just, if you looked up during that time, underrated NBA players, Mike Conley would be right there. Mike Conley is a great guy. Ohio State, so I love him. He was a great defender, can score a little bit. He's still all of that. I mean, obviously, he's sort of out of his prime now. Uh, the Jazz are going to try to get a little bit more out of him. But his number is now going to be retired in Memphis, which when I first heard this news, I was like, you know, he doesn't really seem like a player who should get his number retired. But then, you know, Brett High told me a little bit more, and he's like, he's like the st- statistics leader for everything that Memphis has done. And he was a great player for them, and he was a lot of fun in his prime. I mean, he still is a lot of fun. So Mike Memphis going to retire that number 11, which is cool um, for Mike Conley. And then you had a big news coming out of the Nets. Kevin Durant's going to switch his number to 7. He's worn 35 his entire NBA career, but he's now going to switch to number 7. People were pretty pissed about that in two ways. Um, they were pissed because of Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson wore number seven with the Nets. Seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson, who again, being a seven-time All-Star, he's probably the you, he's probably the most underrated you can be if you have seven All-Stars with you. Joe Johnson was fantastic for the Nets, and he helped to sort of bring that bring the uh, you know the Nets basketball around a little bit, um, and sort of disrespect to give Kevin Durant that number. And then also on the other side, Carmelo Anthony is still the king of New York. And he wore number seven. So he still is the best number seven to ever play in New York City. So that's all I want to say on that. I'm not going to mention Carl Anthony still not being signed yet. I'm not worried. We're about only 10 days into free agency. Teams are settling down a little bit. They're seeing their rosters after the first big wave of free agency. And I think they're going to real a lot of teams realize that they're going to need somebody like Carmelo Anthony. So I expect him to be signed within the next week. Um and each day, yeah, it gets a little bit more scary. But overall, I'm not scared. I'm fine. He's fine. Um, so that's where we're at with Carmelo. But that's it for basketball. I mean, that's all I really have to say about that. Uh, we're going to move now to football. But before that, guys, you know Dom. You know D's Home Cuts. He was on the show last week. We were in the shop last week uh, recording an episode because it's such a home 
it's such a comfortable homey place to record an episode we wouldn't record it if we weren't you know completely comfortable there because that's how you feel when you go get a haircut and at these home cuts it's the cheapest best haircut you can get and you feel so comfortable you feel like it's your home you feel like you're just hanging around with a bunch of buddies talking about sports and music and all this stuff these home cuts is the best place guys we say it time and time again me Sherman, you know zach on the show last week uh we've gotten their haircut at least once or we're lifetime clients 90 percent of the guests on our show have gotten their haircut at these at least once or their lifetime clients there's no better place to get a haircut and dom's going to treat like i said every single hair on your head like it's his own and he's going to make you look your best and feel your best these home cuts go check him out on instagram at these home cuts send him a dm if you want to set up an appointment he'll get you all set up and you can go in there and get a fresh cut get you looking great these home cuts professional haircuts at a low price all right let's move on to do a little football talk right now we're going to start off with a little bit of sad news over the weekend jared lorenzen uh, the hefty lefty, he passed away at the age of 38. Um, I'm sure most people maybe don't know his name, but they've seen him around. Uh, like I said, the hefty lefty was his name because he was somebody who was a little bit different in terms of how he played the game. He was a quarterback for Kentucky and for the New York Giants, won a Super Bowl for them, uh, helped them with that. It was Eli Manning's backup for about three years in the NFL. Um, he passed away, like I said, at the age of 38 due to some complications with some health issues. Uh, he's been in the hospital for the last couple of weeks, and he sadly passed away. Uh, this man, most people would look at him and laugh, you know, make fun of him and how he played. You know, like I said, he was a big quarterback, you know, over 300 pounds. You don't see mo- mo- really any quarterbacks playing at that weight and playing so well like he did. Uh, but he completely, like I said, changed the game. For I think bigger people, you know, people who struggle with their weight, like Jared did, uh, he kind of showed people who struggle with weight. Like I said, you don't really have to play offensive line or defense line if you want to play, you know, football. You don't automatically have to be stuck on the offensive line or the defensive line. Jared showed people that you can be a bigger guy and play, you know, skill positions. I mean, it takes a ton of skill to play quarterback and play at a high level like Jared did. And, you know, there were many times in his career people would make fun of him, laugh at him, uh, because he just kept playing, but he just kept playing so well. And, you know, I heard, I have never met him or anything like that, but I heard he was one of the nicest people in the world. He was always working hard. He struggled with his weight a lot over the years. Um, And eventually, like I said, he passed away. Um, But he really was a trailblazer, I think, for people who struggle with their weight. And he was somebody I think people who struggle with weight can look at and say, you know what? I can do whatever I want to do. I don't if I want to play football, I can play quarterback. I don't have to be, you know, a stick sick guy with a six pack who can run, you know, really fast and has a cannon for an arm. I can be, you know, myself. I can be my weight and I can play quarterback uh, and I can play it at a high level. It doesn't matter what I look like uh, or how you know much I weigh. It's just I can play it at a high level if I work hard enough. And that's what Jared did, and he had a very successful football career. Um, and he's done. He did what a lot of people haven't done. A lot of quarterbacks who were you know skinny with a six pack, you know, he did a lot of things. Like I said, win a Super Bowl. Many people can't say that, um, and Jared did it. And I. You know, that was, sucks to hear that he lost his weight, that he lost his life, um, because I know he's been trying over the years to get down, uh, losing weight. He was doing a lot of stuff, started a YouTube channel, documenting his weight loss journey, and, you know, he still struggled with it over the years, and sadly, you know, he succumbed to an illness, and I think it was an infection that took his life tragically, but, you know, rest in peace to Jerry Lorenzen. That was, you know, tough news to hear over the weekend. Uh, but continuing on with our off-season series, we are going to move now to the NFC North, uh, my favorite division in the NFL. We're going to start with the Bears and the Lions. Like I said, we're doing two teams per show now so we can get through it all in time for the season to start. We're going to start with the Bears, like I said, 12-4 and last year. A very good season for the Bears and for first-year coach Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy took over a roster that most people didn't see much talent. He was coming over from Kansas City, and you know most people looked at the Bears and said, you know, yeah, they're nice, but I just don't think Trubisky's a franchise quarterback. I don't think he can win many games. I don't think this team has enough talent to go very far. Uh, 
But Matt Nagy completely changed it around. And after a beating, a straight-up beating on Monday Night Football, uh, the first game of the year, Matt Nagy turned this roster around and turned it into a 12-4 and playoff record team. And if it wasn't for, you know, a, a rough kick, kicking situation, the Bears, you know, who knows how far they would have went. You know, they started the year, they got Khalil Mack, and most people were surprised with that move, but it actually worked out very well for them um, and that team. Now, over the offseason, I think the biggest loss for them was their defense coordinator, Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio, wherever he goes, you know, he's now the head coach with the Broncos. Wherever Vic Fangio goes, whatever defense he controls, it is one of the best defenses in the league. And when the Packers were looking for a defensive coordinator, I was praying that they would get Vic Fangio. They didn't. They got Mike Pettin, and I'm perfectly happy with that. But Vic Fangio is a defensive mastermind. And, yeah, he turned a team, a roster of defensive players that were pretty young, pretty inexperienced, not great. He turned it into one of, if not the best defenses in the league. And Khalil Mack obviously helped with that, but he really got a lot more out of players who, you know, simply most people didn't think had it. You know, like you look at Eddie Jackson, who is thought of now as one of, if not the best safeties in the league. I mean, most people couldn't even tell you who he was before last season. He completely had a coming out party. They lost him. They lost Vic Fangio. They replaced him with Chuck Pagano, a well-known you know head coach for the Colts a couple years ago. They replaced him with that. Um, and I think Pagano is a pretty good, solid replacement for Vic Fangio. He's not Vic Fangio. But he is good enough, I think, that he's not. you're not going to experience much of a drop. Um, another big loss, I mean, they lost Adrian Amos to the Packers. Shout out. Um, I think that's going to hurt them a lot. He's somebody who completely can play whatever position, whatever role you need him to play, and they just don't have that anymore. They replaced him with HaHa Clinton Dix, which as much as Bears fans want to try to be fake happy about that, HaHa Clinton Dix is not Amos. HaHa Clinton Dix is somebody who will take plays off, will take bad angles. He'll get you an interception every now and then. Um, and, you know, he made a Pro Bowl a couple years ago. He still has talent, but I just don't think he's as good as Amos, as people think. I don't think he's as valuable as Adrian Amos. Then they also lost Bryce Callahan, who was their sort of slot corner for the last couple of years uh, he went to Denver with Vic Fangio which was smart on him um, because Callahan's been really good with Vic Fangio and I think he wants to keep that up uh, they replaced him with Buster Screen who got a huge contract with the Jets a couple years ago coming over from the Browns didn't live up to that contract but he still has talent you know maybe Chuck Pagano can get some stuff out of him uh, they also you know they didn't resign Kevin White who was a complete first round bust um, with them he never really shown he showed maybe one or two flashes, but Kevin White was really never a solid receiver for them. He never lived up to that first-round hype. Um, they lost him. They replaced him with Cordell Patterson, who I honestly, that's probably the the scariest addition for the Bears, is taking Cordell Patterson. Cordell Patterson could play. He's a really, really good kick returner. He's been killing the Packers on kick returns since his career. I mean, he was his rookie season, he returned like a 110-yard kick return versus us when he was on the Vikings. So they have Cordell Patterson there. He can play running back with like he did with the Patriots, and he still can play a pretty good wide receiver position. So I think that's an upgrade there because you got Matt Nagy, who's an offensive mastermind. Um, he can play around and put Cordell Patterson wherever he wants, and that's going to be a weapon for them. Then they also they trade away Jordan Howard, which was a little bit strange for me. I'm not sure why they did that. Um, and then they added Mike Davis from the Seahawks, who has also shown flashes. He can be a pretty good running back. So uh, they're expecting him to take a you know a big step. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, so they did a good job with the players they lost. I think replacing them with some guys. I mean, I think Cordell Patterson over Kevin White is a really good you know addition. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, losing Bryce Callahan or replacing him with Buster Screen wasn't great. I think that's a downgrade. And I think losing Amos and replacing him with HaHa Clinton Dix, that's a downgrade. And then losing Jordan Howard and replacing him with Mike Davis, that's a downgrade. And then the biggest one, losing Vic Fangio and replacing him with Chuck Pagano was also a downgrade. Now, when you go towards the draft, they didn't have as much capital as other teams because they traded for Khalil Mack, which I still think they do that deal over and over again. Um, so they had you know, a pretty depleted amount of cap um, in terms of draft. 
But they they were able to turn that into some solid picks. I mean, they took David Montgomery, a pretty underrated running back coming out of Iowa State. And then they took Calvin Ridley's younger brother, Riley Ridley, who I think a lot of people were surprised he fell that far. And he's a very talented receiver. So this team has talent. My biggest thing, I do not, my two biggest things. First thing, like I said, I don't trust that Chuck Pagano is going to be better than Vic Fangio. I think that defense is going to take a step back a little bit. Now, the other thing that scares me, I guess there's three things. Um, I'm trying to take all my bias out of it. I, I, I hate the Bears with everything in my body. But the kicking situation, that's the scariest thing. They brought in like 800 kickers, and there's only two left because everybody keeps missing. And it's like every day they're re-signing and signing a new kicker. Um, so that's a really rough situation. They haven't had consistent kicking since they let go of Robbie Gold, which is honestly one of the worst decisions in franchise history for the Bears the last couple of years, if not all time. Now, I don't trust Trubisky. Trubisky is somebody who is a nice quarterback. He's a nice question mark. He can have games where you think he's going to be a franchise quarterback, and then he can have games where he's just not great. I think Matt Nagy is one of the best things to ever happen to Mitch Trubisky. Uh, he took Trubisky's game and he sort of elevated it. Uh, he turned him into a little bit of a mobile quarterback, which I mean I don't think most people were predicting that. And you know he made him into a good quarterback. He's not a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. Yeah, he made the Pro Bowl last year, but he's not a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. When you go into this year, though, the book is out on Matt Nagy's offense. Matt Nagy has a good has a good track record of you know engineering a pretty good offense but now that the book is out on him um i mean you see mitch Trubisky just simply cannot throw to his left um he pretty much stays in the middle or to the right uh people are going to realize that he's mobile now so they're going to put a spy on him so that's going to take that away and i just don't think the bears are going to be as good as people think I'm going to rate them as 10 and 6. I mean, they still have talent, but I think they're going to take a step back. And I still think the Packers are going to win that division. And we'll tell you about that on the next show. But listen, the Bears lost a lot. Vic Fangio was the main reason as to why they were um, a really dominant defensive team. They still have Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack's going to fix up a lot of holes on the pass rush. He's still a problem. But they're going to lose... You know, the playmaking ability of Amos. They're going to lose the sure, you know, coverage skills of Bryce Kellen. Yeah, they still have Fuller, who's a nice player. Um, and then at the end of the day, if a lot of these games are going to be close, you need a good kicker. And I just don't think the Bears are going to find a consistent enough kicker to consistently win them games and make them kick. So that's going to be a huge problem for them. Uh, so I'm going 10-6 and six with the Bears. They take a step back. I think that's natural. I don't think that's biased. I think it's natural for a team who sort of shoots up really quick and has a lot of success to regress a little bit in the second year of this regime. Um, so I don't think they're going to win the division. Now you go to the other side. You go a little bit north to Detroit with the with the uh, Lions. So the Lions, they went 6-10 and 10 last year. They had a lot of growing pains with Matt Patricia um, and him trying to come in and make the Lions the Patriots. Uh, we've seen a lot of times, you know, assistant coaches hired from New England, they come over and they try, they come over to their new teams and they try to make their new teams as much like the Patriots as they possibly can. And a lot of the time, it doesn't work out and they end up getting fired. Now, the Lions are doing something a little bit different, I think, as not only as they are, you know, trying to be the Patriots they're trying to get the Patriots players and you know they added Trey Flowers over the offseason they added Damian Mandola um, and they're really relying on those guys to be what they were with the Patriots but we've seen time and time again uh, when Patriots lose players those those players usually don't have as great of careers as they did with the Patriots I think Trey Flowers he's a nice young pass rusher He's not going to be as good, you know, not with the Patriots. Danny Amendola, I mean, he left the Patriots two years ago to sign with Miami, and he simply has not been the same player. Yeah, he had a little bit of a rough quarterback situation in Miami. He's still not the same player. Um, then they added, they fixed the tight end position, in my opinion. I think mean, the tight end position was a little bit rough the last couple of years by adding, you know, Jesse James and drafting TJ Hawkinson in the first round. Now, my only worry with this is... The Detroit Lions don't have a great track record of being able to 
to uh, efficiently use the talent they have at the tight end position. I mean, they Eric Ebron with the Lions looked like a complete bust. And then he goes to the Colts, and he is a pro bowler, and he has like a million touchdowns. So TJ Hawkinson's a nice player, but are they going to be able to use him well? I'm not sure. Uh, and then they also added C.J. Anderson, which I think is going to sure up that backfield a little bit. Um, on Johnson last year, the rookie from Auburn, was a nice surprise for them. Um, the Detroit Lions have been looking for a consistent running back for years now. And that is, they haven't had a consistent running back since uh, Barry Sanders. You can go that far back. I mean, they've had some nice prospects. You know, Javad Best, sorry. Uh, Amir Abdullah, they were always waiting for him to take the next step. But just they haven't had consistent players at running back position. C.J. Anderson's a solid backup, and I think he's going to complement on Johnson well. Um, and I like C.J. Anderson a lot. The only player they really lost to was Ziggy Anza, who they kind of were just ready to get rid of. First-round pick a couple years ago. Talented, very, very talented when healthy. He just never was healthy. Um, and then they replaced Anza with Flowers, which I think – could be an upgrade, but I'm still worried about the decline you get when you go from the Patriots to any other team. Um, and they also drafted Austin Bryant. I mean, they had a couple other draft picks. Uh, Austin Bryant was a defensive lineman from Clemson who was talented, and I think he got overshadowed by that very talented defensive line. The Dexter Lawrences, uh, the Christian Wilkins, and uh, who's the other guy? Uh, I can't remember. But I think Austin Bryan's a nice addition for them. He's going to be a good pass-rushing defense alignment. So 6-10 and 10 last year, I think the Lions, they go 7-9. and nine. I think they get a little bit better, not as much as they want. Um, I still trust Matt Stafford. I think Matt Stafford's a, a solid quarterback. This defense scares me a little bit. They have some nice pit players, you know, Darius Slay, you know, all of these guys. They're still waiting on, you know, Jared Davis, I think, to take the next step. Um Kenny Galladay is a nice receiver. I'm not sure if he's a number one receiver, but he's a nice, you know, solid receiver. So they have a couple nice pieces, but I still don't trust Matt Patricia. I don't trust him yet. Um, and we'll see how this whole Patriot, you know, movement works out in the long run for him. But I think seven and nine is a solid base for them to work off of and continue to build. I don't think they should trade or get rid of Matt Patricia if they do have a 7-9 year. I think they should slowly build that type of system in Detroit. All right, let's finish up the show with a little bit of baseball talk. We had a very, very, very fun home run derby to watch last night. Uh, let's go round by round going through it. First thing we got to talk about is Christian Yelich. Uh, Yelich decided not to do the home run derby because of his back. He is still playing in the game um, tonight, Tuesday night. He's leading off, actually. Uh, but he decided that you know putting all that pressure on his back wasn't a great decision, which I agree with him. And like Truman says, Truman thinks it's like conspiracy theory that the Brewers saw you know how bad the home run derby messed up Jesus Aguilar's swing last year. That they didn't want to risk it with Christian Yelich, so they made up the back excuse for him not to do it. Um, which is, I mean, if there's smoke, there's fire. I, I think there's a, that's a credible amount of evidence there. They replaced him with Matt Chapman, uh, who got knocked out in the first round. But let's go matchup by matchup. We'll start with the first one, uh, which I gotta think of what was the first. Jock Peterson versus, uh, oh man, what was it? Jock Peterson. I can't. Oh, Alex Bregman. Dumb. Jock Peterson ended up beating Alex Bregman. Um, which it was a decent matchup. I don't think anybody really thought much of Jock Peterson uh, yet, even after he won his first matchup. And then you go Vlad Guerrero versus Matt Chapman. Vlad Guerrero completely bursted onto the scene. I think he hit 28 or 29 in the first round. Um, and Matt Chapman struggled. I mean, Matt Chapman's dad was throwing him pitches, and it looked like Matt Chapman's dad hasn't ever thrown batting practice with his son in his entire lifetime. He was missing the strike zone, all this like curveballs and stuff out of the zone, all this weird pitches. Uh, so I think Matt Chapman's dad did him a little bit of a disservice, but also, I mean, Chapman just got, you know, it put into the home run derby like a couple days ago. So I don't think he was really prepared for it as much as the other guys were. And plus you're going against an absolute wagon like Vlad Guerrero. Then you go on the other side, watch us with Johnny um, last night so that we were able to watch Josh Bell versus Ronald Acuna. Acuna put up a solid round. I think he surprised a lot of people. He hit 25 which most people didn't expect from a small guy like Acuna. Um, but he put up 25, and then Josh Bell 
sort of let everybody down. Uh, he didn't hit any straight-up bombs. I think he put up 17, but that wasn't what most people were expecting from him. Um, and Johnny was pretty pissed about that. Then you go to the next matchup, Peter Alonzo versus Carlos Santana, which was a pretty boring first-round matchup. And I think Peter Alonzo's uh, matchups were really boring overall. Um, but, hey, he ended up winning. You know, like people were saying, he's chestnut checkers for Peter Alonzo. He just did enough to win. Um, he didn't tire himself out like Guerrero did, which Guerrero, we'll talk about it in a second. But anyways, Carlos Santana, he didn't put, he had 13, I think, and then Alonzo had 14 because he just had to beat him. Uh, Santana was the oldest guy there. Uh, he was basically there just because you needed a Cleveland guy. Uh, and Santana's not going to blow you away with his power. He just has consistent in-game hitting power. So uh, Peter Alonzo was able to move on. Then we had, which in my opinion was the best matchup, Guerrero versus Jock Peterson. Back and forth, I think it was two to three overtimes, a couple swing-offs. Vlad Guerrero ended up beating him, but ended up beating himself in the championship round because he just completely tired himself out. I mean, you look at the home run derby. Once you get to like the last 30 seconds and you get the 30-second bonus, so it's like a minute, you are just absolutely exhausted, and you saw it with Vlad Guerrero. Um, and then you go to the, the other matchup on the other side. Peter Alonso, again, beat Acuna by just beating him enough to beat him. And it wasn't blown away. Acuna was tired out, I think, from the first round. Uh, and, you know, Alonso was still pretty fresh because he only hit 14 in the first round. He was able to move on to the championship. And then once you got to the championship, it was pretty boring. I'll admit it, the championship. Guerrero versus Peterson was one of the funnest things I've ever watched uh, in the home run derby last, in pretty much my entire lifetime. That was a lot of fun. Um, but then you saw... Peter Alonso versus Guerrero, again, Alonso was way fresher than Guerrero. Guerrero was exhausted, uh, and Peter Alonso was able to win that matchup. And he won a million dollars, which is twice his salary that he's making from baseball. I think he's making five fifty, dollars uh, and he's, he's going to make a million dollars from this home run derby. But, I mean, Guerrero hit 91 home runs last night, and he ended up losing. That was a home run derby record, 91 home runs. And he ended up losing to Peter Alonzo just because of the way the bracket fell. Which, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to give credit to Peter Alonzo because he did what he needed to do to win, and he didn't exhaust himself. So, good matchup, a lot of fun. I think that was one of the funnest home run derbies I've ever seen in a long time. Um, so, give big credit to Peter Alonzo. Now switching gears to Carlos Carrasco, sadly over the weekend he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, we talked about this a couple shows ago where he was he's been feeling a little lethargic all season, and you know even watching him on the mound he just looked like not like Carrasco. If that makes sense, and uh, came out he has leukemia, which is a very tough diagnosis uh, to hear. But he's staying positive, and he says he still wants to pitch this season. He still wants to keep going. Um, and we'll see what happens with Carrasco. But again, we all wish him the best of luck in his recovery and just getting you know back to where he was if, he, if that's his goal. If it's not his goal, I fully support him. I mean, this is a tough thing to go through. I don't know what. Um, I can't really ex you know express what it's like because obviously I don't. I've never experienced this. But tough diagnosis for Carrasco, and we wish him all the best. And I, I think we'll see him back pitching in an Indians uniform. So. Going to be cool to see when he comes back. Uh, but best of luck to Carrasco. All of our prayers go out to him and his family as he tries to figure this out right now. But it's a good thing they know what's going on and you know they can treat it. So uh, best of luck to him and uh, his family. Last thing I wanted to talk about is the catcher position in the MLB. So the catcher position has been over, gone under a lot of changes the last couple of years. It is the most difficult to play in terms of beating up your body. It's extremely hard. You know, you're bending down, you're getting hit with balls all the time, you're getting collisions with they've which they've tried to, you know, get rid of over the last couple of years, but it's still, you know, a very dangerous position. As much padding as you can wear, you still can get hurt. And we have two catchers, you know, who got hurt over the weekend. Francisco Cervelli, he had his sixth career concussion and he said he's complete he's the catcher for the Pirates. He said he's completely done with catching now. Um, which is you know crazy that you're just going to make a switch like that because he's always been a catcher for them. He's played a little third base, so I'm not really sure where they'll move him yet because he still has a pretty good bat uh, for a catcher. So we'll see where they move him. And then you go Jonathan Lucroy with the Angels. He got uh, a conclusion, uh, collision at the plate uh, the other day with Jake Marizic from the Astros. It was kind of a dirty play on his end, but uh, Lucroy got carted off. 
Um, he ended up with a concussion and a broken nose, so it was a very scary sight. Um, you know, I thought these rules were supposed to make catching a little bit safer, but obviously it hasn't. And I'm not really sure where you go from here. Maybe it's just one of those things, you know, you just got to deal with it. If you want to be a catcher, if you want to, if you feel like your best talents are at catcher, if you can make the major leagues, um, you know, that's what you got to do. You got to take the risk. But if you think, but I think also we've seen it a lot. You saw it with the Indians a couple years ago. That's, I mean, I follow the Indians. So that's what I mostly watch. Um, when they had Francisco Mejia in their organization, they tried to move him to outfield to try to maybe take that pressure off his body. Because he has such a good bat, and you see it a lot with players who have good bats that are catchers. They try to transition him to another position. Uh, I mean, the Indians did it with Carlos Santana. I mean, he was a catcher. They moved him to first base. Um, and you've seen it a lot. They move players' positions so they can you know, keep that bat on the field. I mean, catchers aren't well-known hitters because, you know, hitting with a catcher basically what you want in a catcher is good defense and somebody who can work well with your pitchers and you know bats just sort of a bonus but it's the most dangerous position in baseball um which is crazy because you know i think pitchers right up there too but i mean catching it's brutal so best of luck to both of those guys whatever they decide to do wherever lucroy i mean i think lucroy i mean he's a career catcher he's you know been a great catcher i don't really think he can switch now um, but he's sort of almost done out of the game, I think, retirement-wise. But Francisco Cervelli still has a lot of baseball left in him. Uh, so if he does, does decide to move, I think you know that would be wise for him. Um, last thing with baseball, uh, people wanted me to talk about the Reds wearing their sleeveless jerseys. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I mean, I love watching that. But also, they lost 11-1, to 1, so it was a tough look for them. So if you're going to wear sleeveless jerseys, you got to be a little bit better at baseball, in my opinion. Uh, but that's it for our show today. You want to thank you to our sponsors, D's Home Cuts. Huge shout out to him, always supporting the show. And you know, even you know, thank you again for him for hosting us last week uh, with our show on Thursday. So huge shout out. If you haven't listened to that, I think that's one of our best episodes. Uh, it's not perfect in terms of you know facts and all this stuff, but it was very laid back, very fun, uh, great atmosphere. So huge shout out to him and D's Home Cuts. Check it out. Go into iTunes and Spotify. Uh, subscribe. Uh, download us listen every single week guys so you don't miss a single episode turn on your notifications with that uh, give us a rating review us tell us what we can do better follow us also on twitter at tnt sports talk one two that's where you can send us dms to be a guest questions comments concerns send us a follow we always follow back we always answer really quickly so check us out on twitter um, but other than that, though, have a great day. We'll, we'll talk on Thursday. we got a couple more stuff we got to talk about. Um, but other than that, have a great day, and uh, I'll see you back on Thursday. Thanks, guys.